Part three of Visits to the Dead in the Catacombs of Rome by George Washington Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We know more positively what kind of lives they led here. Their first impulse on finding themselves in a place of safety was to unite together in thanksgiving and prayer. Then here, as in the city above, the different offices of social and religious life would be assigned to different persons some to watch over the sick some to preside over the distribution of food some to allot appropriate places to different ages and sexes some to watch the entrances and keep up some kind of communication with their friends in the city the community of feeling and interests which bound them together in the world would become a yet stronger tie in these homes of common peril and privation and few would think of preserving here those distinctions of rank and power which might so soon be confounded in a common death for light they used those little lamps of which you see so many in every museum the larger were suspended from the ceiling in the chapels and main galleries and they would carry about the smaller ones in their hands whenever they wished to go from one place to another some of the wells from which they drew their water may have been dug expressly for that purpose but others were evidently found in the natural progress of excavation some too seem to have been used as drains their supply of food must even on the supposition of long preparation have been a precarious one whenever the persecution lasted more than three or four months in the cases of individuals we know that they depended entirely upon their friends above st chrysostom finds materials for an eloquent reproof to the christians of his own day in the picture of a noble lady awaiting in fear and trembling the return of her maid with her daily supply of food there is that beautiful story of hippolytus too who lived for a long while in the catacombs of st sebastian at the very time when st stephen was secreted there he was apparently the only christian of his family and when he took refuge in the catacombs he was still obliged to look to his relations for the means of sustenance they sent it to him by his nephew and niece children of ten and thirteen whose daily visits in this hour of trial made the poor christian feel how dear he still was to his friends and as he thought of them and mourned over their idolatry he felt his heart bleed and yearn for them and could not still his longings till he had found out some way for bringing them also to the knowledge of christ then he went to st stephen and told him of his sorrows and the holy pontiff bade him keep the children by him the next time that they came for their parents said he will become alarmed when they see that they do not return at the accustomed hour and will come to seek them themselves and when the children came he kept them and their parents seeing that the hour was past and they had not returned went to seek them in the place where they knew that their brother was hidden and when they had reached it they found their children there and hippolytus and the holy bishop with them but they turned a deaf ear to the prayers and entreaties of their brother and refused to hearken to the words in which st stephen would have reasoned with them 
yet although they knew it not their hearts were touched and the words had sunk into them and in god's chosen time ripened into repentance and they too became christians and martyrs still it was only in individual cases that a large number could have been fed by daily supplies the very sight of so many persons going regularly to the same places would have excited suspicions in those suspicious times and led to effectual measures for cutting off the communication no large body of men could ever have been fed by means like these and the inhabitants of the catacombs must often have been exposed to great want but while they remained there they passed the greater part of their time in religious conferences in attending the holy ceremonies and in prayer there was no sun to tell them of the passage from day to night the light that faintly stole in through the luminaria reached at the utmost but a few feet in the upper corridors and the luminaria themselves were found only at great intervals all the rest was lighted by lamps which shed a soft twilight around them fainter even than this of our tapers and many a passage was left in unbroken darkness when i first came here i could not look into that darkness without a strange feeling you see how the light falls there struggling for a little way through the thickening shadows till its redness fades to a sickly white resembling that fiocco lune that pale light which dante saw the spirits by on the shores of acheron and then too how dark is the darkness beyond the eye shrinks from it and turns for relief to that pale ray again which seems to fall blunted and powerless from the ebon mass how truly does that other epithet of dante apply here too loco donne luce muto a spot mute of all light for nowhere do darkness and silence seem to walk hand in hand as they do here i have repeated it a hundred times by degrees however i became accustomed to it and so it must have been with the christians who made their homes here some of them found employment too in enlarging the passages into chapels and forums where they could assemble in larger numbers for conference and worship it was then probably that the rough shell of the chapels was made though the ornament and finish must have been the work of a calmer and happier period sometimes it is related the soldiery came upon them while they were engaged in prayer led thither perhaps by spies few only could have been taken in these rare inroads for there were too many avenues of escape to admit of a general arrest sometimes too their relentless persecutors would attempt to distress them by throwing in stones and dirt through the luminaria and shutting out their scanty share of daylight but none of these things could have broken their general feeling of security in such hiding-places as these the air as you can tell by your own feelings was temperately cool though in some places i have found the dampness unpleasant had these grottoes been less extensive the crowds that were sometimes collected here and the numerous lamps that were always burning would have made the air unpleasant with such imperfect means of ventilation as the luminaria afford 
but these numberless passages running off in every direction would give it a circulation that the lungs would play in as freely as on a mountainside. Do you suppose, asked Cole, that many died here? We have no means of ascertaining how many, replied the father, but without some miraculous suspension of the ordinary laws of nature, there must have been the usual proportion both of births and deaths. Whole families were living here together, and often for many months, and doubtless some came who were never to look upon the sun again. Death must have been very solemn in a place like this, but it was one from which the Christian soul would take its flight with exultation. And I doubt whether amidst all their vicissitudes these asylums of holy men have ever witnessed such touching scenes as when a dying saint has breathed his last farewell to kindred and friends, and calmly closed his eyes amidst the prayers and congratulations of those who longed to follow him you would almost fancy the spirit hovering for a moment above them with the last yearnings of human love and blending as it were the purest feelings of earth with its first fruition of heaven the funeral rites were simple the corpse was bathed anointed and wrapped in its grave clothes and then placed on a bier in the chapel where it remained till a sufficient time had elapsed to guard against its premature burial. Meanwhile, relatives and friends would gather round it to watch and to pray, and when the hour came they would take it up in their arms and bear it to the grave that had been opened for it, laying it decently in its narrow dwelling, with its arms stretched by its sides, and its face upward. Then there would be a last farewell, a parting glance, and when all had joined once more in prayer, the mason would come with his tiles and mortar, and shut it out from their sight forever. I have never opened a grave without asking myself, where were the hands that closed it hundreds of years ago? Often in opening them you perceive an odor of incense, as if precious gums and spices had been used in preparing the body for its last resting-place and were the remains generally found in the state which we see them in frequently but not always you have seen that many of the cells were empty now you must not always take this for a proof that the bones have been carried away the nature of the ground the age of the dead and various other causes have acted after death producing a great diversity in the state of the bones the bones of children decay rapidly, and in their graves we never find anything but dust. Where the putzalana is dry, the bones become white and soft, falling away like ashes beneath your touch. Where it is damp, you often find the skeleton well preserved, and always more or less perfect. And if it has been reached by the water, an incrustation forms upon it, giving it the color and hardness of stone sometimes a striking change takes place the moment that the air penetrates and i have seen parts crumble away and sink into dust before i had well caught the outline you remember what happened to campagna he was carrying on his excavations in his vineyard at porta latina and had just opened a columbarium 
all the upper part was arranged just as the columbaria always are with the urns in their niches and each with its inscription beside it but on reaching the bottom and clearing away the dust and rubbish from the floor they came unexpectedly upon a stone coffin a little more than five feet long and perfectly closed by good fortune campagna himself was there and with the proper instruments for raising the lid without breaking it and what should he see there but a body stretched at full length in the coffin as if it had never been disturbed since the day when it was first placed there the funeral robe the hands the limbs in perfect preservation and the face that of a girl who had died in her freshness and bloom two thousand years ago but as he was gazing upon it it suddenly began to dissolve and fade and in an instant all that was left was the outline of a human form traced in dust upon the bottom of the coffin the same thing occurred in an excavation at siri says generelli and i mean to make the most of it in my dissertation the figure was that of a man and some of the gold ornaments of his robe resisted the action of the air though all the rest and the bones crumbled away immediately do you believe asked cole that the emblems and inscriptions were placed upon the grave at the time of burial many of them undoubtedly were the simpler emblems and ruder inscriptions may have been easily traced by the common workmen some of them evidently were made with the point of the trowel what is the meaning of the palm-leaf the christian's triumph victory over sin and death many writers have supposed it to have been a sign of martyrdom but the only unquestionable proofs of martyrdom are the little vase of blood which you have seen inserted in the cement that closes the grave and the instruments of martyrdom which are sometimes found in the grave itself i have been told that these were indications of the buried man's trade yes when you find them cut or painted on the outside of which we have many curious instances i remember a slab which once stood upon the grave of a wool-comber the inscription gives nothing but the name with the common addition of in peace venerle in pace but there in the same rude style of carving are the shears the comb the speculum and a plate with a rounded handle all implements of his trade it was a symbolical language intelligible even to the unlettered the man who would have been forced to turn away unsatisfied from an inscription would recognize at once the familiar indications of a trade men too situated as the christians were would naturally resort to symbols for the expression of ideas which none but they could appreciate their thoughts and hopes were not those of the heathen who adorned their sarcophagi with choice sculptures and exquisite embodiments of mythology they did not care to employ in commemoration of their dead the forms which had been defiled by a corrupt superstition they were in the warmth and fervor of a new hope which they took every opportunity of expressing in language perfectly intelligible to all who shared it with them you cannot take ten steps in the lapidarian gallery of the vatican without feeling that you are standing between two worlds 
on one side are the inscriptions of paganism whose dead sinking into their graves without a hope seem to cast back longing glances upon the pleasures they have left behind the mourner has nothing to console him the dying man nothing to cling to but when the name has once issued from the fatal urn he leaves forever his woods his villas and his home for the bark that is so to bear him to an eternal exile i have ventured to borrow from one of the saddest yet most beautiful of horace's odes the third of the second book to delium then from his tomb comes a cold voice that chills you by its heartlessness an idle enumeration of idle pleasures or a spiteful warning that yours too will soon be ended d m t claudi secundi hic secum habet omnia balnie binum venus corruptunt corpora nostra sed vitam faxiunt b v v to the divine manes of titus claudius secundus here in this world he enjoys everything baths wine and love ruin our constitutions but they make life what it is farewell farewell what language for the grave you remember the dying question of augustus to his friends have i played my part well then applaud shocking as this is to our conceptions even from such a wretch as augustus the following inscription is still more so vixi dum vixi bene iam mei peracta mox vestra ejetur fabula valete et plauditi v a n fifty eight while i lived i lived well my play is now ended soon yours will be farewell and applaud me but the christian for whom death was a passage not to exile but to the home of all his hopes and aspirations writes nothing upon his grave but the simple expression of his faith florente in pace florentius in peace valeria dormit in pace valeria sleeps in peace dormitio elpides the sleeping place of elpides often too the expression is fuller and more distinct referring this peaceful slumber to the lord who gives it as in the following form which is found at the close of many inscriptions in pace domini dormit he sleeps in the peace of the lord in the epitaph of albania by her husband plaucus the idea of repose is expressly limited the resurrection of the body an idea that to a pagan would have seemed still stranger than the more common assurance of peace being held up as the end of this temporary slumber relictis tuis iaces in pace sopere marita resurgis temporalis tibi data requietio thou well-deserving one having left thy relations lie in peace in sleep thou wilt arise a temporary rest is granted thee indeed it is to this belief in the resurrection of the body that we are indebted for the preservation of these precious remains 
natural as it is to honor the dead and your favorite vico makes funeral rites one of the first elements of civil union the christian living in the midst of a hostile community and often dying the most degrading or revolting death would frequently have been tempted to cast aside with comparative indifference the mutilated remains of the friend whose spirit he knew to be far beyond the reach of human decay but when he saw in them all disfigured as they were the substance which was to rise again refulgent with the immortality of paradise he gathered them together with a pious care washed and anointed them and filled the wounds with spices and precious ointments laid them reverently in the sepulchre prudentius tells of a martyr who on his way to death begs not for life but burial sometimes they chose their burial place during life there is an inscription in the lapidarium gallery one of the rudest both in the style of writing and its almost unintelligible latininity which records the name of an old man of ninety by the name of martyrius who had done so elixit domum vivus then too we find epitaphs denouncing a wretched death to any one who should dare to violate the sanctity of the sepulchre male periat in sepultus iacet non resurgat cum juda partem habiet si quis sepulcrum hunc violaverit if any one shall violate the sepulchre let him perish miserably and remain unburied let him lie down and not arise again let his portion be with judas strange said cole why is it the very sentiment that we find in the epitaph of our great poet shakespeare though much more definite in its imprecation good friend for jesus sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that moves my bones yes it is man's natural feeling even the pagans felt it as keenly as we do archiatus begs for a little sand in the sweetest note of the lyre of horace et tu nante vage ne parce malignus ariane asibus et capiti inhimato particulam dare and the imprecation though less minute is as strong as that of our inscription precibus non liquiber inultas teque piacula nulla resolvant but the heathen dreaded the sad wanderings on the banks of styx palinarus cries to aeneas eripi me his invicte mals ant tu mihi teran iuse manu potes funeral rites carried a privilege with them but the body itself had done its part and could never be reunited with the spirit a decent grave or even a little dust thrice sprinkled would secure the soul a passage in charon's bark and then all the rest might be left to slumber undisturbed how different from the feeling with which the christian laid his brother in the grave firmly trusting that every particle which had entered into the composition of that lifeless form would be gathered together and united again in the day of his reward 
Another trait which strikes you in these inscriptions is their simplicity. Not merely the simplicity of good taste, but the meekness and resignation of men who looked upward, receiving all things as expressions of God's will, and claiming nothing for themselves but the privilege of submission. The epithets are terms of endearment or respect. Sometimes the manner of death is mentioned, but without any tokens of exultation or any complaints of persecution. They sleep in peace, in the peace of the Lord, in the hope of resurrection, and thus their story is told. The names, too, you must have observed, are merely the name of baptism. The Roman distinction of personal, family, and surname is dropped. They have renounced the pride of birth and place, and care nothing for the pompous titles of worldly power. Many of them were poor laborers who were known only by their trade, the weaver, the wool-comber, or any other of the humbler arts that minister to the wants of life. But they all had been baptized by some distinctive appellation, and this they gloried in. It was the token of their regeneration, the mark by which they were known among their brethren, a record of the day in which they began to live anew, casting their errors and unholy affections behind them. Here, then, said Generelli, we have the explanation of the loss of family and surnames in the Middle Ages, which was followed by such a confusion of persons that the genealogist is completely at fault, till the Crusades come to his aid with their armorial bearings and new distinctions. Undoubtedly, and hence the futility of attempting to trace any of our modern families up to the Romans of old. And thus, too, you see another reason for the natural growth of a new symbolical language. These men, who wished to separate themselves, both in life and death from their pagan neighbors, would naturally inscribe the distinction on their graves in some simple and definite manner. One of the simplest was the monogram of the Greek name of Christ, a chi and rho crossed in various ways, which appears in a very large number of inscriptions, sometimes alone, sometimes adorned with palm branches, or other emblems of the same expressive character. In one inscription, that of a child of four, only a part of one of the legs of the chi appears, and that is wrought into the row in such a manner as to produce a cross. Then two other letters were added, expressive of the attribute of eternal existence as applied to God, Alpha and Omega, one on the right, the other on the left of the cross, and either higher or lower, as best suited the engraver. Another emblem, and which I believe to be a probable, if not a certain, indication of martyrdom, is the furnace which we often find, and in various shapes. It alludes to death by fire, or by boiling oil, both of them common forms of martyrdom. This symbolism was not confined to tombstones. We find it on gems, on lamps, and in pictures. The Christian Museum contains many curious and instructive specimens of it. There is a signet ring from the catacombs with the monogram of Cairo interwrought and supported by what would seem to have been intended for doves. A full alpha is cut on the right of the row, and a little higher, on the opposite side, 
a very small omega. End of part three.